Back at you with a new episode of Locked on Buckeyes podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Lamb. LSU is your national champions. I'll talk about why I think they should enjoy it while it lasts. A little look ahead to next year. Is Clemson being oversold or is Ohio State being undersold? Plus, Ohio State basketball, much needed win against Nebraska. I'll tell you how they did it, why they did it, and if it's time to get rid of the panic or... Is it yet to be determined? We'll get into all that today on Locked on Buckeyes, your daily or almost daily Ohio State football and basketball podcast. Find us on the platform of your choice, Apple, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, etc., etc. Any of your favorite podcasting platforms or simply say, play the Locked on Buckeyes on your smart speakers. Be sure to tell a friend or family member or any of the above, any acquaintance whatsoever about the Locked On Buckeyes podcast. Thanks for giving us a listen. Find me on Twitter at KYLAM8. Find the show at Locked On Buckeye Singular. Coming up next, LSU winning the Natty. We'll talk about that in greater detail and look ahead to 2020. So LSU will be your reigning college football champions going into the 2020 season. And I hope for the sake of Tiger fans, they soak it all in this offseason down in the bayou because I have a feeling they're not getting another one for a long, long time. Look, LSU is a deserving champion. I still believe Ohio State is the best team in the country. That's not to say that Ohio State would have beat LSU in the national championship had they played. I think it would have been a better game than what Clemson gave them, but I'm not so naive to think that Ohio State would have had had an easy time beating LSU because look, I've been saying it for a long time. I really believe LSU was a one trick pony. And that's not to say that they suck everywhere else on the field. But when you look at the run defense, their pass defense, despite all the talent in the secondary, and they have some talent, we can joke about DBU all day long, but they had talent in the back end of that secondary. But their defense was very inconsistent. It played better down the stretch. They they definitely get credit for that. Offensively, I've said this before on the podcast too. I watched Clyde Edwards-Hilaire run, and you see him on individual runs, and you're like, wow, that dude is a really good running back. But you look at the overall numbers over the course of the season, and they just they couldn't run the ball with any regularity. And I think that led to being a pass-happy offense. Which brings us to the point. They're a one-trick pony, but that one trick, my goodness, it was the most prolific pass game this year I think I've ever seen in college football. I'm in my late 30s. I don't mind telling you, I don't recall seeing a pass offense that was that deadly. Even when you got to Joe Burrow and got pressure on him, his ability to escape look downfield and create plays with his arm as well as his legs. It's uncanny. His accuracy this year, I mean, my goodness, he completed almost 70% of his passes 20 yards plus downfield. The national average is 45%. He was completing a higher degree, a higher percentage of his passes than many, many Many teams were complete or many quarterbacks were completing overall. 
So it was a prolific offense. And I saw Nick Wright of Get Up or not, not Get Up, the whatever the FS1 show. I get those mixed up because I don't watch any of them. But I saw Nick Wright of Fox Sports ask the question, what exactly does Joe Burrow do well? And if you're watching Joe Burrow, why are you asking that question? People are passing him off as a system quarterback. If, if you're completing 70% of your passes, 20 yards plus downfield, you're not a system quarterback. You're a really, really good passer. He may not have the elite arm at the next level as an Aaron Rodgers or a Pat Mahomes or Brett Favre or Russell Wilson, but he's, I think he's in that next class. Tom Brady doesn't have the elite arm. He's got a good arm, above average, but he's not elite. I, I see Joe, I mean, ignoring all the comparisons of Joe Burrow to Tom Brady, I kind of see him being in that Brady class as far as arm strength. He can make all the other throws. Watching him against Clemson, just another in a long line of performances against good defensive teams. And I know Clemson didn't exactly show out the last two games, but they're still a good defense. But watching Burrow execute by by his, when he sees single coverage with his receivers downfield, and he's got some great receivers, don't get me wrong. But he, he said himself, when he sees single coverage on his receivers with a, a defender that is not turning his, not turning back to the ball, he he throws it every time. And you see the success because he, he's got pinpoint point accuracy, but reading what the defenders are doing makes him so special. So he's not just a system quarterback. And that's why as a Bengals guy, I'm so excited to see him for Cincinnati next week or next year in, in Bengals stripes. I think he is going to be a franchise quarterback for Cincinnati. I think he's going to change the direction of that franchise. I really do. Now, moving back to the point I made earlier, enjoy this while it lasts because LSU, their offense is about to turn into a pumpkin. It's midnight. The ball is over. It's time for LSU to go away. Look, first and foremost, they have a couple of really good receivers coming back. Let's acknowledge that up front. Jamar Chase and Terrence Marshall, really good receivers. They will be back next year. As of right now, it would be Miles Brennan throwing to them, but they may pick up a grad transfer. I know Derek King, the transfer from Houston, is a guy that LSU is going to look at. But with the news that Joe Brady is off to the Carolina Panthers in the NFL and reverting back to the Ed Orgeron-guided offense, I think LSU is going to lose two, three, maybe four games next year. I I really think they're going to go back to the LSU we all remember. Brady and Burrow, such a huge part of that success when they're both gone. So I don't see how they're going to get great quarterback play next year. I I think any preseason poll that has LSU in the top five is is kind of silly myself. I mean, look, uh, they've got some talent on defense. But uh, Stingley, I think, is a legit shutdown corner at the next level. I love that guy. But LSU, I think, is going to struggle offensively next year despite the receiving talent. Now, when I look next year at college football, the consensus is Ohio State and Clemson. Or if you want to be probably more precise, 
Clemson, and Ohio State. Most people have Clemson number one as the preseason favorite in college football. This may be splitting hairs just a little bit, but I'm a little perplexed as to why you would have Clemson number one. I think they're a top five college football playoff team next year for sure because you do start with Trevor Lawrence. And by the way, this is going to be my pet peeve all season long, but let's stop pretending Trevor Lawrence is a lock to be the number one pick. At the start of this past season, everybody thought Tua was a lock to be the number one pick. And I know he got hurt, but the way Joe Burrow played, Joe Burrow played himself into the number one pick regardless of what happened with Tua. And Joe Burrow came a lot, lot further away than, say, Justin Fields could. I'm not saying right now Justin Fields is a better pro prospect than Trevor Lawrence or I expect you know Fields to be the number one pick in the draft next year. But I think Fields is actually was actually a better quarterback this year than Trevor Lawrence. I really feel that way. And with an extra year of experience under his belt, because remember, Lawrence basically had one and a half, one and three quarter seasons of experience. Fields really only had one. He only played mop-up duty in a few plays here and there with Georgia. So I think another year under his belt, I think Justin Fields is going to be a better quarterback next year. It's no disrespect to Lawrence. I just do. That doesn't mean Fields is a better pro prospect, even if he does have a better year, but it plays into it. So you you have a good offense as far as skill players are concerned with Clemson. But you got to remember, Travis Etienne, most likely gone. We don't know that for sure. As I'm recording this, we still don't know, but he's most likely gone. T. Higgins is gone. They still have some good receivers there, Ross and Rogers good receivers, but they're also losing four out of their five offensive linemen. So you're replacing almost everybody up front except for Jackson Carmen. You're replacing your two best playmakers. And on defense, Isaiah Simmons, he's gone. That's a big, big loss for them. Skowski, redshirt junior. There's a possibility he goes out to the NFL. I'm not sure if he's going to return or not, but he could be gone. Niles Pinckney up front, gone. They lose a couple guys in their secondary. There are a lot of key players being replaced by Clemson. That's not to say that they they won't be talented and they're not bringing in some other guys. Second and third stringers, that will be stepping up, certainly. And let's not forget the ACC is really, really bad. So I, I think Clemson is a playoff team. But if I'm nitpicking, honestly, I'm looking at Ohio State next year. I think Ohio State has the best roster on paper. When you look at all the guys coming back, especially up front, on offense, Fields being back, those receivers being loaded, Sean Wade returning, a very, very good front seven despite Chase Young. It's it's nitpicking, I'm sure. It, it's, it's a close race. I think Clemson is up there. They deserve to be first, second, or third. But if, if I'm giving my opinion, I think on paper, Ohio State is the best team in the country next year, followed by Clemson on paper. I would put Alabama number three. After that, it's really a crapshoot. I like that Oregon team. That Oregon defense has a chance to be loaded next year. Should be an interesting matchup out there in Eugene. The good news for Ohio State is Oregon replacing a lot of offense. Justin Herbert, skill players, a lot of question marks on that side of the ball. But that duck defense on paper next year, probably a top five defense. Very, very good chance of being. So we have a lot to sort out this offseason. LSU, 
they earned the title. I don't think they're necessarily better than Ohio State. I think Ohio State is a more balanced team. But LSU, that pass attack, wow. That was a, a fun pass attack to watch. Really prolific performance by Joe Burrow and those receivers and, of course, Joe Brady. Enjoy it, Tiger fans. It's not happening next year. I'm sorry to break that news. Coming up, Ohio State basketball gets off the schneid. We'll discuss how they did it. While watching Ohio State basketball during commercials, halftime, I was flipping over, as I customarily do, to watching the Blue Jackets in action against Boston. And, of course, I had the game on my tablet, the Blue Jackets game, that is, on my tablet while I was watching Ohio State. Why I'm saying this is because anybody that is following the Blue Jackets right now knows they are playing extremely well, and they're doing it under the most impressive of circumstances because they're, uh, uh, last week, a couple games ago, they were literally down 13 guys off of a 23-man roster that were on injured reserve, including their starting goaltender, a couple first-line players, a couple of their top scorers, literally 67 70 to 70 percent of their opening day salary salary space was on injured reserve but through it all the blue jackets have persevered and gotten hot they're one of the hottest teams in the nhl right now in six games since december 7th against the capitals the bruins and vegas golden knights as three of the best teams two Two of them statistically, the Capitals and also Boston, are, are the top two teams in, the, in points right now in the NHL. Vegas has played a little bit up and down, but they're one of the most talented teams. In those six games, though, the Blue Jackets have had five wins and an overtime loss, netting 11 out of possible 12 points. They're doing it literally with a bunch of guys that started the year in Cleveland, the minor league hockey affiliate of the Blue Jackets. The reason the Blue Jackets are playing well is because they have confidence, they have found a rhythm, they're playing well together, and they're well coached. But you wouldn't have known that six weeks ago because they were one of the worst teams in the league record-wise. They were disappointing. They started seeing injuries. It was perplexing what had happened to them. They weren't playing well. The reason I am... Using citing this example because I, th- I think it's important. Although basketball is a little bit different, it's a little bit like hockey in that it's a rhythm sport. Running an offense is is very about very much about continuity. It's about timing and confidence. Sure, talent is important, but basketball, especially college, you can get away with being a little less talented if you run your sets correctly. You run them well. You have confidence and continuity. If you know where your opponents are, or know where your teammates are going to be at a certain time, if you have that timing and rhythm, you can overcome that. By the same token, when you lose that rhythm and you lose the confidence, your play really suffers. Ohio State bounced back in a big way Tuesday night against a lesser Nebraska team. Now, some of you will say, well, they only beat Nebraska, but 
some of the same people saying, well, they only beat Nebraska were saying, well, this team's terrible. They're going to lose to Nebraska. So it, it, you've got to give them credit for doing, even if you think that they should beat Nebraska, if you thought that there was a possibility that they wouldn't because they were playing so poorly, then you must recognize that they did indeed bounce back in a big way and play some really good basketball. First and foremost, I, I've been saying, you guys, guys and gals have to give me credit for this. I've been saying the biggest problem, I think, with this team is just a shooting slump. It's not to say there are no other underlying issues. A couple of those things kind of crept through the, the cracks a little bit against Nebraska, which we'll discuss in a moment. But first and foremost, they just got to shoot. They got to get the confidence back. And they did that despite Dwayne Washington and Luther Muhammad being out for this game with a suspension. I'll give my thoughts on that as well in a minute because I do want to get something off my chest. I, I think it pertains to that situation. But they put the ball in the basket. They shot 54%. They shot 45% for three-point range. They cut down on the turnovers, only 12 of them, which is a fair number for an average-paced game. Actually, this game was a little bit higher pace because Nebraska likes to get out and run a little bit, and they turn it over a few times themselves. So 12 turnovers for a game like this is actually pretty good. That's where you want to be. If you can be in the 10 to 12 range for a normal played game, that's exactly where Ohio State needs to be, and they shot well. So give them credit because they got the ball in the basket. I thought they got the biscuit in the basket, and that's what is most important, and you saw it improve their offensive play. Kyle Young being back in the lineup gives them so much more confidence because he makes a lot of those putback and, and effort plays that really gets the team energized. That was another key component of that four-game losing streak that people were overlooking is how much Kyle Young meant to a well-functioning offense for Ohio State because of the offensive rebounds, the, the screening, which he's really good at, the screen and rolls, the effort plays. Those things add up over the course of a game. So Ohio State came out, they didn't shoot off really well right off the bat, but once they got going, they had a lot of confidence, and I thought they ran the best offensive sets we've seen in probably three or four weeks from them. It wasn't their best all season, but it was a lot better than it had been. Again, yes, it was Nebraska, but that Nebraska team killed Purdue at home. They took Indiana to overtime in Assembly Hall, so it's not like that they were totally an incapable team. But Ohio State did what they had to do. I think once they get past the shooting slump, and they needed a game like this. They needed to get confidence back. If they can build on that later this week with Penn State in Happy Valley, I think that helps Ohio State get back on track. I really think once they shoot well, some of those sloppy turnovers start to go away. And we saw a few of them against Nebraska. They weren't completely care. They weren't completely worry-free as far as turnovers. There were a couple of sloppy ones, but they were minimized. I think all those things start to, to go away. They, they don't completely disappear, but it's not a big weakness if the shooting gets back to where it was. Now, you have to look at the suspension because you can't just brush it off and say it's no big deal. But I will say this, before anybody gets down the line of thinking there's a locker room problem, there's a chemistry problem, 
I'm going to stop that. I'm going to nip it in the bud right now because I can tell you this. I, I don't know. Let me preface this by saying I don't know what caused the suspensions of Washington and Muhammad. But I will tell you this. I know what I, I have been told all season and very, very recently by people that I trust close to the program. This team is as close as can be. There are no chemistry or locker room issues. And Chris Holtman has said that publicly. If you listen to his radio show or post-game interviews, pre-game interviews, he has said all season long, this is as close of a team as he's ever had. Those guys like each other in the locker room, okay? There, there are no chemistry issues. I can tell you that right now. It's not a locker room issue. Now, what caused these suspensions? I don't know. Temporary lapse. Maybe guys were just in a funk. They just didn't do what is expected of them. Whatever the reason, I don't think it's anything to be worried about. I think I've been saying this. I think it was just the unperfect storm for Ohio State. Injuries happening at the same time as a shooting slump, which exacerbated some of the turnover issues and the, the, the bad passing. I think the confidence led to some um, effort issues that normally aren't there, but maybe guys were getting down and it was affecting their defense. That happens too. These guys are human, just like the hockey example, okay? Chemistry and confidence goes both directions. Sometimes it happens where when you're in a funk, it really does get to you and it impacts your play. I just think all those things combined with a really, really tough slate, a stretch of games for Ohio State, I think that contributed to the slump we saw. Now, is everything A-OK now because they beat Nebraska? No, of course not. We need to see it repeated for the next several games to know that they're back on track. But they really needed a game like this I think it'll help their confidence. I think you're going to see the shooting slowly start to come back. If they can incorporate Washington and Muhammad and get those guys back to playing how they're capable. And again, I still think the Dwayne Washington injury, rib injury, I, I don't think it's healed. That's my opinion. I think there's more to it than just his effort. But we'll see. But they need to get those guys back. That happens. This win against Nebraska goes a long way to getting them playing the kind of basketball we saw them play back in November and early December. So Buckeyes, much needed win, a desperation win for Ohio State, blowing out Nebraska, being up by as many as 24 in the second half. Got a little sloppy at the end, hung on for a 12-point win. It's going to do it for the Locked on Buckeyes podcast. Make sure you tell people about us. Tell them where to find us. We're on most of your favorite podcasting platforms, including Apple, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, et cetera, et cetera. Find me on Twitter at KYLAM8. Find the show at Locked on Buckeye. Thanks for giving us a listen. We'll catch you later.